Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you Agatha Christie's Miss Marple, episode titled The 450 from Paddington. For an instant, the two trains ran together, side by side. In that frozen moment, Elspeth witnessed a murder. Helplessly, she stared out of her carriage window as a man remorselessly tightened his grip around a woman's throat. The body crumpled, then the other train drew away. But who apart from Miss Marple would take her story seriously? After all, there were no suspects, no other witnesses, and no corpse. So sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this Nostalgic Mystery Radio. Thank you for listening. We present June Whitfield as Miss Marple in Agatha Christie's 450 from Paddington. My grandmother always used to insist that a true lady must neither be shocked nor surprised. So when Mrs. McGillicuddy, who had come down to St. Mary Mead to stay with me for a few days, greeted me with the words, Oh, Jane, I've just seen a murder. I merely raised my eyebrows a little and shook my head, sat her down by the fire and asked her to tell me all about it. The train standing at platform three is the 450 for Brackhampton, Milchester, Waverton, Carville Junction and stations to Chadden. Passengers for Brackhampton and Milchester travel in the rear of the train. Christmas shopping, of course, and I was lucky to find Porter, except that he ushered me to a third-class carriage. <laughs> what on earth did he take me for? However, at last I did get a compartment all to myself. I must admit that I fell asleep the moment the train pulled out of the station. I slept for 35 minutes. I know that, for I looked at my watch the moment I woke up. By then it was nearly dark, and the train started to slow down, and just then another train, going the same way as us, came up and swerved inwards towards our train quite alarmingly. They were running alongside one another at the same speed, when suddenly the blind of one of the carriages opposite flew up. It was only a few feet away, and I distinctly saw a man bending over with his back to the window, with his hands round a woman's throat, and he was slowly, remorselessly, strangling her. Her eyes were starting from their sockets, and her face had gone quite purple. How very unpleasant. And then her body went quite limp, and she slumped down. And just at that moment... The other train picked up speed 
and went off into the night. Tickets, please. A woman has been strangled in the train that's just passed. I saw it through the window. Strangled? Yes. You must do something at once. You don't think, madam, that you may have had a little nap? I saw it. I was as wide awake as you are. And what I want to know is, what are you going to do about it? Well, madam... You are going to do something, I suppose. We shall be in Brackhampton in uh, seven minutes. And I'll report what you've told me. Perhaps I might have your name and address, just in case. But of course... I couldn't be sure that he'd do anything. So just to make certain, I wrote a note for the station master. The train now arriving at Platform 1 is the 538 for Milchester, Waverton and stations to Chadworth. Passengers for Market Basing take the train now waiting at Platform number 3. Water, please take this at once to the station master's office. Uh, Yes, ma'am. Oh, thank you, ma'am. I gave him a shilling. Sixpence would have been enough, I suppose, but my mind was still dwelling on the murder. What a fantastic thing to happen! And then I caught the train to Milchester and found your taxi driver waiting for me. The best thing, I think, my dear, is for you to go upstairs and take off your hat and have a tidy up. Then we will have supper, during which we will not discuss this at all. After supper, we will go into the matter thoroughly and examine it from every angle. Jane, you don't think, do you, that I dreamt it or imagined it? Oh, certainly not. I think perhaps we should have a glass of my cowslip wine. Oh, that would be most welcome. The ticket collector thought I dreamt it. Uh, Quite polite, but all the same. The man you saw in the other train... Did you say he had his back to you? Yes. So you didn't see his face? No. And the woman? Can you describe her? Young? Old? Youngish. Between 30 and 35, I should think. Here you are. Oh, thank you. Oh, excellent. Just the thing. (laughs) Was she good-looking? It's difficult to say. Her face was all contorted and... Yes, yes, I quite understand. Uh, How was she dressed? She had on a fur coat of some kind, a a palish fur, no hat. Her hair was blonde. And there was nothing distinctive you can remember about the man? He was tallish and dark, I think. He had a heavy coat on, so I couldn't judge his build very well. It's not really very much to go on. Oh, it's something. We shall know more, I expect, in the morning. In the morning? I should imagine it will be in the morning papers. The man would have had a body on his hands. What Uh, would he do? Presumably he would leave the train at the next station. Uh, By the way, can you remember if it was a corridor train? Uh, No, it was not. Ah, That seems to point to a train that was not going far afield. It would almost certainly stop at Brackhampton. Let us assume the murderer leaves the train there, perhaps arranging the body in a corner seat with her face hidden by the fur collar to delay discovery. Yes, I can see that is what he would most likely do. And in that case, it is almost certain to be in the papers tomorrow. But it wasn't in the morning paper. It wasn't in any of them. 
So I decided that the best thing for us to do was to go down to the police station and have a word with Sergeant Cornish. Mm, a most extraordinary story, Mrs McGillicuddy. And you've reported it to the railway officials and reported it to me. That's the correct procedure. And you can rely on me to make the proper inquiries. Thank you, Sergeant. Uh, what do you think could have happened to the body? Well, I can't imagine. If it was left on the train, it would surely have been found sometime last night. One would have thought so. There is, of course, the possibility that the murderer pushed the body out onto the line. I suppose it could be still on the track somewhere. As I said, Miss Marple, I'll make a few inquiries. I think you can rest assured that you'll hear about it all in a very short time. But the day passed, and so did the next day. And in the evening, a note arrived from Sergeant Cornish. In regard to the matter on which you consulted me, full inquiries have been made with no result. No woman's body has been found. I suggest that your friend may have witnessed a scene such as she described, but that it was much less serious than she supposed. Less serious? I know what I saw. It was murder. The trouble is, I, I don't see what I can do about it. I don't think there's anything you can do about it. You've reported what you saw. Well, I suppose it's a relief in a way, because, as you know, I'm going to Ceylon immediately after Christmas to stay with Roderick, and I certainly do not want to put that visit off. It's up to the police now. It's out of my hands completely. So Elspeth went off to Ceylon, leaving me with a problem to solve. Who could help me to find out where the crime might have taken place? Well, there was my nephew Raymond's second boy, David, who is in British Railways, and there was the vicar's boy, Leonard, who is very knowledgeable about maps. Leonard was easy enough since I was having Christmas dinner at the vicarage, and I sent a special Christmas present to David, asking for information. He told me that the only train that could possibly have been overtaken by the 450 from Paddington at that time of day was the 433 to Market Basing. So I went up to London and caught the 433 as far as Brackhampton. As the train neared Brackhampton, there was a long curve and I stood experimentally with my back to the window and drew the blind. The curve was sudden enough to throw me back against the window and made the blind fly up. I peered out into the darkness, but there was little that I could see. So I took the same journey by daylight, this time with a large-scale map provided by Leonard. And I began to have an idea of what might have happened. But how was I to set about finding out if I were right? And then... I thought of Lucy Islesbarrow. I'm afraid I'm rather booked up at the moment, but I might manage something. There's a rather dowdy club in London I happen to be a member of. Why don't we meet there? Lucy Islesbarrow is a quite remarkable girl. She took a first in mathematics at Oxford, and everyone expected her to go on to a distinguished academic career. But she knew all too well that an academic life is not very well rewarded, and she quite frankly liked money. She decided that to make money one must exploit shortage, and there was a serious shortage of domestic labour. She soon became something of a legend. 
She would look after elderly parents or little children. She cooked divinely and was quite wonderful with dogs. There was nothing she wouldn't turn her hand to. Of course, she charged the earth for her services, but no one seemed to mind. So, what exactly do you want me to do? Oh, it's very simple, really. I want you to find a body. What kind of a body? A woman's body. She was murdered, strangled, actually, in a train. Well, that's certainly unusual. I think you'd better tell me about it. There is only one place where the body could have been thrown off the train and would not have been found on the line. The track makes a big curve before coming into Brackhampton on the edge of a high embankment. If a body were thrown out there when the train was leaning at an angle, I think it would pitch right down the embankment. But surely it would be found even there. Oh, yes. It would have to be taken away, but we'll come to that presently. Now, just take a look at the map. Here's the place. It's right on the outskirts of Brackhampton now, but originally it was a country house with extensive grounds. And it's still there, untouched, ringed round with housing estates. It is called Rutherford Hall. Is it an old house? No, not particularly. It was built by a man called Crackenthorpe, a very rich manufacturer in 1884. His son, an elderly man, is living there still with his daughter. The railway encircles half the property. And what is it that you want me to do? I want you to get a post there. Everyone is crying out for efficient domestic help. I should not imagine that it would be difficult. No, I don't suppose it would. I understand that Mr Crackenthorpe is said to be something of a miser. If you accept a low salary, I will make it up to the proper figure, which should, I think, be rather more than your present rate. Because of the difficulty? Because of the danger. It is only right to warn you of that. I don't know that the idea of danger would deter me. I didn't think it would. I dare say you thought it might even attract me. I've encountered very little danger in my life. But do you really believe there might be a risk? Somebody has committed a very successful crime. There's been no hue and cry, no real suspicion. Two elderly ladies have told a rather improbable story. The police have investigated it and found nothing in it. I don't think that this somebody, whoever he may be, will care for the matter being raked up. What do I look for, exactly? Any signs along the embankment? A scrap of clothing, broken bushes, that kind of thing? And then? I shall be quite close at hand. An old maidservant of mine lives at Brackhampton and takes in lodgers. She has arranged for me to have rooms there. I would suggest that you mention you have an elderly aunt living in the neighbourhood and that you want to be within easy distance of her and that you stipulate a reasonable amount of spare time so that you can go and see her. I was going to Taormina the day after tomorrow. Oh. The holiday can wait, but I can only promise three weeks. After that, I'm booked up. Three weeks should be ample. If we can't find out anything in three weeks, we might as well give up the whole thing as a mare's nest. Let's hope that won't happen. I have an old friend who works in a registry office in Brackhampton. She ought to be able to help me towards getting a job at Rutherford Hall. Uh, do you happen to know the name of the old man's daughter? Emma, I believe. Emma Crackenthorpe. 
I wonder if this post is really what you're looking for, Miss Alsbarrow. I don't want a housekeeper to supervise things. I want somebody to do the work. I quite understand. You want cooking and washing up and stoking the boiler. That's all right. I'm not at all afraid of work. It's a big house, I'm afraid, and inconvenient. Of course, we only live in a portion of it, my father and myself, that is. He is rather an invalid. I have several brothers, but they're not here very often. You have your own car? Yes, it can stand out in the open if there's nowhere to put it. It's used to it. Oh, there are any amount of old stables. There's no trouble about that. And you're sure you're happy with the sum I mentioned? Yes, that's quite all right. You see, I need to be near Brackhampton. I have an elderly aunt in a critical state of health and I want to be within easy distance of her. If I could be sure of having some time off most days. Oh, every afternoon till six, if you like. That seems perfect. I think perhaps I should warn you that my father can be a little difficult at times. I'm quite used to elderly people. I generally manage to get on with them. I suppose I'd better take you to meet him. He said he wanted to have a look at you. There's one thing you'd better understand right away, young lady. Just because we live in a big house doesn't mean we are rich. We're not rich. I live here because my father built this house and I'd like it. After I'm dead, they can sell it up if they want to, and I expect they will want to. No sense of family. This house is well built, and we've got our own land round us. Keeps us private. You won't get me out of here unless you take me out free first. Your home is your castle. Laughing at me? Of course not. I think it's very exciting to have a real country place all surrounded by town. Quite so. You hear the traffic a bit when the wind's that way, but otherwise it's still country. Right, you'll do. Tell Emma to ring up that damn fool of a doctor. That last medicine he gave me is no good at all. Has Mr Crackenthorpe been an invalid for long? For years now. You're sure you'll be able to cope? Quite certain. There's a woman who helps out in the mornings, Mrs Kidder. She comes in first thing. She's got a sharp tongue, but she's quite harmless, really. What she has to put up with, poor lady, with that regular old skin flint. <laughs> all the same, she's not what I call downtrodden. Can hold her own all right. She always sees her something decent to eat when the gentlemen come down. The gentlemen? Oh, yeah. It's a big family, or used to be. The eldest, Mr Edmund, he was killed in the war. Then there's Mr Cedric. He lives abroad somewhere. He's not married. Paints pictures of foreign parts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mr Errol's in the city, lives in London, married an earl's daughter. Then there's Mr Alfred. He's got a nice way with him. But he's a bit of a black sheep, <laughs> been in trouble once or twice. Mm. And there's Miss Edith's husband, Mr. Brian, ever so nice he is. Miss Edith died some years ago, but he's always stayed one of the family. And then there's Master Alexander, Miss Edith's little boy. He's at school, but he always comes here for part of the holidays. Quite a big family, as you say. Another cup of tea? No, thanks, my dear. <laughs> we seem to have got along a treat this morning. <laughs> Want me to give you a hand with the potatoes? They're done already. Well, you are the one for getting on with things. <laughs> I might as well be getting on myself, as there doesn't seem anything else to do.
Is it all right with you if I practice a few iron shots in the grounds this afternoon? Oh, yes, certainly. Are you fond of golf? I'm not much good, but I like to keep in practice. It's a more useful form of exercise than just going for a walk. Nowhere to walk outside this place. Nothing but pavements and miserable little band boxes of houses. They'd like to get hold of my land and build more of them, but they won't until I'm dead. And I'm not going to die to oblige anybody, I can tell you that. Now, Father... I know what they think and what they're waiting for, all of them. Cedric and that sly fox Harold with his smug face. As for Alfred, I wonder he hasn't had a shot at bumping me off himself. I'm not sure he didn't at Christmas time. That was a very odd turn I had. Puzzled, Dr Quimper. I don't think that Miss Alsbury wants to hear about that, Father. Don't see why not. But off you go, young lady... Marple said. The train slows down to make the curve and the embankment falls steeply away. Easy enough to pitch a body down it. And here's my ball. And here's something else. A torn scrap of fur. And Elspeth said the woman was wearing a light-coloured fur coat. So it looks as if you were right. Yes. It is rather gratifying to form a theory and get proof that it is correct. But that isn't all. The body must have rolled down the slope. At the foot of the embankment, I found this. Oh, a powder compact. Very cheap affair. It doesn't seem distinctive in any way, but it might help. I suppose it must have been in the pocket of the coat. You didn't take all the fur? No, I left half of it on the thornbush. Oh, quite right. The police will want to check exactly. You're going to the police? Well, not quite yet. It would be better, I think, to find the body first, don't you? Isn't that rather a tall order? The murderer pushed the body out of the train and then presumably he got out at Brackhampton and then, probably the same night, came back and removed the body. But he could have taken it anywhere. Oh, not anywhere. I don't think you're following the thing to its logical conclusion. You mean that he intended to kill her? That it was premeditated? I didn't think so at first. But it really is too much of a coincidence that he should kill the girl in a fit of passion and then look out of the window and find that the train was going round a bend exactly at a spot where he could tip the body out and where he could be sure of finding his way later and removing it. If he'd just thrown her out by chance... The body would have been found long ago. The more I think about it, I am sure it was very carefully planned. The man knew, he must have known, all about Rutherford Hall, its geographical position. Let us assume the murderer had a car. Which way would he come? And there's a way under the railway arch and along the back drive. He could go along to the foot of the embankment and carry it back to the car. And then he took it to some place he'd already chosen beforehand. The obvious thing, I suppose, would be to bury it somewhere in the grounds of Rutherford Hall. It wouldn't be as easy as it sounds. Too much hard work and very noticeable. Then in a shed, perhaps? Or an outhouse? That would be simpler and quicker. There are a lot of unused old buildings, harness rooms, workshops that no one ever goes into. Yes, I think that's much more probable. There's no one actually living at Rutherford Hall who could be the man we're looking for. There's only old Mr Crackenthorpe and the gardener. 
I didn't say he was actually living there. All I mean is that he's someone who knows Rutherford Hall very well. But we can go into that once you've found the body. You seem to assume quite confidently that I shall find it. I don't feel nearly so optimistic. I am sure you will succeed, my dear Lucy. All it needs is a little common sense. I'll start to go through all the outbuildings systematically. The grandson, Alexander, is coming down with a friend of his to stay for the holidays. I wonder if I might be able to enlist them as helpers. Are you looking for something, Miss Islesborough? A golf ball. Several, in fact. I've been practising golf shots most afternoons and I've lost quite a few. I thought that today I really must find some of them. We'll help you. Won't we, James? Of course. That's very kind of you. Do you play a lot of golf? I'm quite fond of it. I don't get much opportunity. I suppose you don't. You do the cooking here, don't you? Yes. Was lunch all right? Simply wizard. We get awful meat at school, all dried up. I love beef that's pink and juicy inside. That treacle tart was pretty smashing too. I found a ball. Here. Thank you. We wanted to set up a game of clock golf, but the numbers are so rusty you can hardly make out which is which. Why don't you give him a lick of white paint, Alexander? Good idea. There are small pots of paint in the long barn. Shall we see whether there's any white? Where's the long barn? The stone building over there by the back drive. Grandfather keeps a lot of his collection there. What collection? Statues and things he had sent home from abroad when he was a young man. Most of them are pretty awful. Come and see. It's just like a museum. Busts of Roman emperors. And a lady with no clothes on. The coffin's the best thing, though. Come and look. A coffin? Grandfather says it's an ancient sarcophagus. It came from Sicily. It's enormous. I found some white paints, but the brushes are all stiff. You need some turps. There's some in the house under the stairs. We'll go off and get it. I'll stay and have a look round here. It could do with a good clear-up. See you later, then. Bye. Bye. Mr Crackenthorpe seems to have had a genius for collecting the worst specimens of antique art that he could find. Particularly this sarcophagus. But if I wanted somewhere to hide a body, I need to find something to move the lid. Ah, this might do. Brackhampton, 2500. Miss Marple? Yes, Lucy, what is it? I found it. The body? Yes, a woman in a fur coat. It's in a stone sarcophagus in a barn near the house. What do you want me to do? I ought to inform the police, I think. Oh, yes, you must ring them at once. But what do I tell them? Well, the only thing to do is to tell them the exact truth. About you? About everything. But what about the family? I think I'd better leave that to you. May I speak to you a moment, Miss Crackenthorpe? Yes, of course. What is it? Well, speak up, girl, speak up. I'd like to talk to you alone, please. Nonsense. You can say straight out what you've got to say. Just a moment, Father. Come out into the hall, Miss Islesbury. Well, what is it? If there's too much work to do with the boys here, I'm it's sure we can... It's not that at all. 
I didn't want to speak before your father because he's an invalid and it might give him a shock. You see, I've just discovered the body of a woman in the big sarcophagus in the long barn. <laughs> but that's impossible. I'm afraid it's quite true. I've rung the police. They'll be here at any moment. You should have told me first, before ringing the police. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear you use the telephone. I was afraid the boys might hear if I rang up from the hall. I phoned from a call box down the road. Yes, I see. And you say the police are on their way? I think they're here now. I'm sorry to have to put you through this, Miss Crackenthorpe, but have you ever seen this woman before? I'm quite certain I've never seen her before in my life. We're very grateful to you. That's all I want to know. I must go to my father. As soon as I heard all about this, I telephoned Dr Quimper. I thought it would be a wise precaution. Your father's all right, Emma. Just go in and have a word with him. And then pour yourself a glass of brandy. That's a prescription. Thank you, Dr Quimper. Excuse me, Inspector Bacon. That's crying and talk. <laughs> that woman's the salt of the earth. A thousand pities she's never married. The penalty of being the only female in a family of men. Oh. The other sister got clean away, married at 17. Emma's quite a handsome woman, really. She'd have made a good wife and mother. Too devoted to her father, I suppose. Well, she's not really as devoted as all that. But she's got the instinct some women have of making their menfolk happy. Well, she sees that her father likes being an invalid. So she lets him be an invalid. She's the same with her brothers. She makes Cedric believe he's a good painter. Harold believes that she relies on his sound judgement and she lets Alfred shock her with his stories of his shady deals. Sounds like a clever woman. <sighs> well... Do you want me to have a look at your corpse now that the police surgeon has done with it and see if it happens to be one of my medical mistakes? I'd like you to take a look, yes. We want to get her identified. Right, let's go. Unpleasant, I suppose. Uh, the police surgeon estimates she's been dead between a fortnight and three weeks. Uh, unpleasant enough. Mm. Well, Doctor? Never seen her before. No patient of mine. Nor have I ever noticed her in Brackhampton. <laughs> she must have been quite good-looking once. Who found her? Miss Lucy Islesborough. The latest lady help. What was she doing, poking round in a sarcophagus? That's what I'm going to ask her. Well, I trust she's got a good story. You were engaged by this Miss Marple to obtain a post here and to search the house and grounds for a dead body, is that right? Yes. And you expect me to believe this story? Not, perhaps, until you have interviewed Miss Marple. I'll interview her, all right. She must be balmy. What are you proposing to tell Miss Crackenthorpe? About me, I mean? Why do you ask? Well, as far as Miss Marple is concerned, I've done my job. I've found the body she wanted found. But I'm still employed by Miss Crackenthorpe, and there are two hungry boys in the house, and probably more of the family will be coming down after this upset. She needs domestic help. If you tell her that I only took the job to hunt for dead bodies, she'll probably throw me out. I'm not saying anything to anyone yet. I haven't verified your statement. For all I know, you may be making the whole thing up. All the family came down for the inquest. The brothers, Cedric, Harold and Alfred, 
and Brian Eastley, the husband of the dead daughter Edith. There was also Mr Wimborne, the senior partner of the family solicitors who had come down from London at great inconvenience. I hope that the whole matter will soon be cleared up satisfactorily. It's all been most unfortunate. By the way, Miss, um... Isles Barrow, just what made you go looking in that sarcophagus? Really, I hardly know. I did feel that the whole place needed a thorough cleaning out, and there was a very peculiar and disagreeable smell. Yes, yes, of course. The body had been there for about three weeks, the police surgeon said. I think, you know, we must all try and not let our minds dwell on this business. Remember, this wretched young woman was nothing to do with any of us. Ah, but you can't be sure of that, can you? Oh, really, Cedric, that seems a most uncalled-for remark. I really don't see why, Harold. She was in our barn, after all. What did she come there for? Possibly some uh, assignation. I understand that it was a matter of common knowledge that the key was kept outside in the nail. It was convenient for the Women's Institute people who used to meet there. If we'd kept it in the house, it might have been awkward. You're worried, sis. What's up? Really, Cedric, do you need to ask? Yes, I do. Look, granted a strange young woman has got herself killed in the long barn, and granted it gave Emma a shock at the time. I don't see why she goes on being worried now. I mean, one gets used to everything. Murder takes a little more getting used to by some people than it may in your case. I dare say murders are two a penny in Mallorca. Ibiza, not Mallorca. It's the same thing. Not at all. It's quite a different island. My point is that murder may be an everyday commonplace to you, living amongst hot-blooded people and trying to paint. What do you mean, trying to paint? This discussion is unprofitable. I hope, dear Emma, that you will tell me if there is any further way in which I can be of service to you before I return to town. It was most kind of you to come down. Not at all. It was advisable that someone should be at the inquest to watch the proceedings on behalf of the family. And now, if you will excuse me, I have arranged for an interview with the inspector before I go. Mr Wimborne, this is Detective Inspector Craddock of New Scotland Yard. Scotland Yard? Uh, we've been called in on the case, Mr Wimborne. As you're representing the Crackenthorpe family, I feel it's only fair that we should give you a little confidential information. We have reason to believe that the dead woman is not a native of these parts, that she travelled down here from London, and that she had recently come from abroad, probably from France. Indeed. That being the case, the Chief Constable felt that the Yard was better fitted to investigate the matter. I can only hope that the case will be settled quickly. It has all been most distressing. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. Now, I should like to have a brief interview with the various members of the family. But what can that possibly have to do with an unknown young woman coming from abroad and getting herself killed here? Well, that's rather the point. Why did she come here? Had she some connection with the house? Had she been, for instance, a servant here at one time? And I need to know a little more about the family itself, their history. There's very little to tell. <sighs> Josiah Crackenthorpe was a manufacturer of sweet and savoury biscuits, relishes, pickles, etc. He accumulated a vast fortune. He built this house. Luther Crackenthorpe, his eldest son, lives here now. And the present Mr Crackenthorpe never thought of selling the house? He is unable to do so. By the terms of his father's will. Perhaps you could tell me about the will. Josiah Crackenthorpe left his considerable fortune in trust. The income from it to be paid to his son, Luther, for life. And after Luther's death, the capital to be divided equally between Luther's children, Edmund, Cedric, Harold, Alfred, Emma and Edith's son, Alexander. And the house? That will go to Luther's eldest surviving son. Or his issue. And Edmund was killed in the war. Was he married? No. So the property will actually go to... To Cedric. 
What all this has to do with the murder of an unknown young woman of foreign origin, I cannot imagine. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with it. However, perhaps someone in the family will be able to throw a little light on the matter. I'll start the interview straight after lunch. You're barking up the wrong tree, Inspector. You're suggesting, I suppose, that this woman may have come to the Long Barn to keep an assignation with one of us. But none of us live here. <laughs> you don't seriously believe that she came here to keep a date with my revered pop? Our point is that the woman may once have had some association with the house. It may have been a considerable number of years ago. Cast your mind back, Mr. Crackenthorpe. Well, we've had foreign help from time to time, but I can't think of any likely possibilities. The others would probably know more than I would. As you heard at the inquest, the medical evidence cannot fix the time of death very accurately. Longer than two weeks, shorter than four, which brings it somewhere around about Christmas time. You were here at Christmas, I believe. When did you arrive in England and when did you leave? I flew in from Mallorca. Got here on the Saturday before. That would be the 21st. And when did you leave? I flew back on the following Friday, the 27th. Thank you. Leaves me well within the limit, unfortunately. But really, strangling young women is not my favourite form of Christmas fun. I hope not, Mr. Crackenthorpe. Thank you. That'll be all. Sorry I couldn't be of more help. Cocky enough for anything. <laughs> Loose living lot, these artists. I'm very likely to be mixed up with a disreputable class of woman. Well, let's see what our correct city gent has to say about it all. We'll have a word with Harold Crackenthorpe. No idea who the woman could be. Never saw her before in my life. And there's no possibility of her being associated with the house in any way? A servant, perhaps? Not to my knowledge, no. I understand you were at Rutherford Hall for Christmas, sir. I wasn't able to get away from the office until Christmas Eve. I left here on the 30th. I had no great wish to see the New Year in here. And now, if you don't mind, I need to get back to London. I've wasted enough time in this place as it is. We won't delay you any longer, Mr Crackenthorpe. Not very helpful. Didn't expect that it would be. Let's hope that Brother Alfred will be a bit more forthcoming. Well, it's quite an idea that the woman may have had a job here. Uh, there's a good deal of foreign domestic labour floating about. But as, uh, as Emma didn't recognise her, I think that rules your idea out. Emma's got a very good memory for her face. No, if the woman came down from London... What gives you the idea that she did, by the way? A return ticket in her pocket, perhaps. It could be, <laughs> Mr. Crackenthorpe. Oh, not telling, eh? Well, granted that she came from London, perhaps the chap she came to meet had the idea that the Long Barn would be a nice place to do a quiet murder. He knows the setup here, evidently. I should go looking for him if I were you, Inspector. Thank you, Mr. Crackenthorpe. We'll bear it in mind. Ah, goodbye, then. You know. I've seen that chap before somewhere. Sharp customer. So sharp he cuts himself sometimes. I don't suppose you want to see me. I don't exactly belong to the family. You're Brian Eastley, the husband of Edith Crackenthorpe, who died five years ago? That's right. Well, it's very kind of you, Mr Eastley. Especially if you know something you think would assist us in any way. <sighs> but I don't. I wish I did. The whole thing seems so ruddy peculiar, doesn't it? Is it true she was a foreigner? Does that fact suggest anything to you? Uh, no, it doesn't, as a matter of fact. It's possible she was French. Really? Gay Paris? On the whole, it makes it even more unlikely, doesn't it? Messing about in the barn, I mean. Nobody in the family got any French connections or relationship that you know of? The Crackenthorpes aren't a very lively lot. 
Harold's respectably married. Don't think Alfred cares about women much. Spends his life going in for shady deals, which usually go wrong in the end. I dare say Cedric's got a few Spanish senoritas jumping through the hoops for him in Ibiza. Mm. Women rather fall for Cedric. Uh, I say, I'm not being very helpful, am I? No, but we're very grateful, Mr Eastley. If you'd be so good as to ask Miss Crackenthorpe if she'd come and have a word with us. And you've no idea of the French woman's name? Where she came from? Anything at all? What makes you assume she was French, Miss Crackenthorpe? Oh, I really don't know why. Except that one one always tends to think of foreigners as French. <laughs> you don't have some special reason for thinking that this woman was likely to be French? No, I really don't think so. Do you recognise this powder compact? It's certainly not mine. You've no idea to whom it might belong? No. Then I don't think we need worry you any more, for the present. Thank you. Think she knows anything? At a certain stage, one's inclined to think everyone knows a little more than they're willing to tell you. Hmm. Anything more you want to do here? No, I don't think so. But while I'm in the vicinity, I shall take the opportunity to call on an old acquaintance. I am so glad that you have been assigned to the case. I hoped you would be. When I got your letter, I took it straight to the assistant commissioner. As it happened, I just heard from the Brackhampton people calling us in. The AC was very interested in what I had to tell him about you. Oh. <laughs> He's heard a lot about you, I gather, from my godfather. Oh, dear Sir Henry. Do you want to know what he said? If it is not a breach of confidence. He said, well, as this seems a completely cockeyed business, all thought up by a couple of old ladies who've turned out against all probability to be right, and since you already know one of them, I'm sending you down on the case. So here I am. How did you trace the body to Rutherford Hall in the first place? It's all in Mark Twain, hmm? the boy who found the horse. He just imagined where he would go if he were a horse. And you imagined what you'd do if you were a cold-blooded murderer. <laughs> really, your mind... It's like is... a sink, my nephew Raymond once said. <laughs> but as I told him, sinks are necessary domestic equipment and actually very hygienic. Can you go a little further still? Put yourself in the murderer's place and tell me just where he is now. Oh, I wish I could, but I have no idea. He must be someone who has lived in or knows all about Rutherford Hall. I agree, but that opens up a very wide field. The whole setup is so well known locally. We'll never get anywhere until we identify the body. Yes, indeed. I quite understand your difficulties. Oh, we'll get there in the end. The M.O. puts her down as about 34... Her fur coat is a cheap one, purchased at a London store, but hundreds of them were sold over the Christmas season. Her other clothes seem mainly of French manufacture. There are no English laundry marks. We've communicated with Paris, and they're checking up there for us. Sooner or later, someone will come forward with a missing relative or lodger. I was rather thinking of things like theatrical companies touring from one place to another, and perhaps not many home ties. Hmm. Well, one of those young women would be less likely to be missed. We'll pay special attention to that angle. Oh, it's only a matter of time. Somebody must know who she is. Hello, Em. What is it? You're looking terribly perturbed about something. Yes, I am. I must talk to you. Well, talk away, then. I'm terribly worried. You don't think that the dead woman could possibly be Martine? Martine? 
Why should it be Marty? Well, she must have sent that telegram at roughly the time the woman was killed. Do you think that she may, after all, have come down here? And... Nonsense. Why should she come down here and end up in the long barn? Seems wildly unlikely to me. You don't think I ought to tell the police? Now, don't complicate things by bringing up a lot of irrelevant matters that have nothing to do with the case. Well, I was never convinced by that letter she wrote anyway. I was. My advice to you is to keep your mouth shut. Oh, Lord. Here comes Quimper. I can't bear the chap. But take my advice. Don't go halfway to meet trouble. Well, Emma, I'm glad to say that your father's in splendid shape. The murder evidently suits him. Well, you're looking a bit bleak. Anything the matter? I am worried, yes. What's the trouble? You remember what I told you about my brother, the one who was killed in the war? You mean about his having married or wanting to marry a French girl? Something of that kind. Well, didn't you get a letter from her just before Christmas? Yes. She said she wanted to come and see us, but then she sent a telegram to say she had to return to France. Well? The police think that the woman who was killed was French. And you're worried that she might be your brother's girl? Yes. I'm wondering whether I ought not to tell the police about it. Cedric says it's quite unnecessary. What do you think? I'd go ahead and tell them. Well, you'll go on worrying if you don't. I know you. Perhaps I'm foolish. You do what you want to, my dear. And let the rest of the family go hang. I'd back your judgment against the lot of them any day. It's very good of you to make the journey up here to see me, Miss Crackenthorpe. You've been worried about something, haven't you? Is it perhaps something to do with the identity of the dead woman? You think you know who she was? I'm not certain. I really think it's most unlikely, but... But well, there is some possibility that worries you. You've seen three of my brothers. Hmm. I had another brother, Edmund, who was killed in the war. Shortly before his death, he wrote me this letter from France... Shall I read it? Please do. I hope this won't be a shock to you, Emmy. But I'm getting married to a French girl, Martine. It's all been very sudden, but I know you'll be fond of her and look after her if anything happens to me. I will write you all the details in my next, by which time we shall be married. Break it gently to the old man, won't you? He'll probably go up in smoke. May I see it? Here. Two days after receiving this letter, we had a telegram saying that Edmund was missing, believed killed, and later he was definitely reported dead. There was no record, as far as I could find out, of his having been married, but it was just before Dunkirk. When everything was pretty chaotic anyway. Exactly. After the war, I tried to make some inquiries, but I only had her Christian name to go on, which wasn't much help. I assumed that the marriage had never actually taken place. And then? You can imagine my surprise when just about a month ago I received a letter signed Martine Crackenthorpe. You have it? Yes, here. Thank you. <clears throat> Dear Mademoiselle, I hope it will not be a shock to you to get this letter. I do not even know if your brother Edmund told you that we were married. He was killed only a few days after our wedding, and at the same time the Germans occupied our village. 
After the war ended, I decided that I would not write to you or approach you, though Edmund had told me to do so. But by then I had made a new life for myself, and it was not necessary. But now things have changed. For my son's sake, I write this letter. He is your brother's son, you see, and I can no longer give him the kind of education he ought to have. I am coming to England early next week. Will you let me know if I can come and see you? My address for letters is 126 Elvers Crescent, N10. So, what did you do? I rang up my brother Harold in London. He was rather sceptical about it and advised extreme caution. I agreed with that. But I thought that if the woman really was Martine, then we should make her welcome. I wrote to the address she had given, asking her to come to Rutherford Hall. Then, a few days later, I received a telegram from London... Very sorry, forced to return to France unexpectedly, Martine. After that, I heard nothing from her at all. And all this took place before Christmas? Yes. And do you believe that this woman whose body was found in the sarcophagus might be Martine? Well, when you said she might have been French, I couldn't help wondering. Hmm. Well, what is surprising is that after you replied so kindly to her, she should depart so abruptly for Paris. Do you think there's any possibility that one of your brothers could have instituted inquiries which alarmed the woman? Oh, no one ever mentioned anything of the kind to me. It's possible that this Martine may have had a background that would not stand examination. She may have assumed that she would be dealing only with Edmund's affectionate sister, not with hard-headed, suspicious businessmen. After all, I should imagine that quite serious legal aspects would arise. If Edmund Crackenthorpe left a son born in wedlock... He would be one of the heirs to your grandfather's estate. Yes, that's perfectly true. Moreover, from what I've been told, he would in due course inherit Rutherford Hall and the land around it. Very valuable building land by now. Yes, I hadn't thought of that. Well, I shouldn't worry. I shall make inquiries, but it seems to me that there's probably no connection between the woman who wrote the letter and the woman whose body was found in the barn. Oh, I'm so glad I've told you. It's such a relief... You've been very kind. Sergeant Weatherall? Yes, sir? I've got a job for you, Bob. Go to 126 Elvers Crescent, N10, mm. and take the photographs of the woman they found in the sarcophagus with you. Okay. See what you can find out about a Mrs Martine Crackenthorpe, who was either living there or calling for letters there between the dates of, let's say, uh, 15th to the end of December. Right, sir. Uh, uh, there's been a message from Inspector Dessin. Hmm? He's been pursuing the line you suggested about theatrical companies, and uh, he thinks that the particulars you mentioned might apply to a woman called Anna Stravinska of the Ballet Moritzky. Hmm. He suggested you go over to Paris. Thank you, Sergeant. I had heard so much about the Crackenthorpe family from Lucy that I decided it was time I took a look at them for myself. So I persuaded Lucy to ask me over for tea at a time when they were all down for the weekend. Dr Quimper was there too, devouring sandwiches and coffee cake with the hearty appetite of a man who has too little time to spend on his meals. Psychology's all right, if it's left to the psychologists. The trouble is... Everyone's an amateur psychologist nowadays. My patients tell me exactly what complexes and neuroses they're suffering from without giving me a chance to tell them. Glorious cake, Emma. What a cook you are. Oh, not mine. Lucy Islesbarrow's. Ah, oh, you make them just as good. Will you come up and see Father now? Mm. Yes, of course. 
Miss Crackenthorpe is a very devoted daughter, I see. Can't imagine how she sticks the old man myself. She has a very comfortable home here, and father is very much attached to her. Oh, Emma's all right. Born to be an old maid. Oh, my brother doesn't use the term in any derogatory sense, Miss Marple. <laughs> oh, I wasn't offended. I just wondered if he were right. I shouldn't say myself that Miss Crackenthorpe would be an old maid. She's the type that's likely to marry late in life and make a success of it. Oh, not very likely living here. Never sees anybody she could marry. Oh, I don't know. There are always clergymen and doctors. <laughs> but I must, I must be going. So kind of you to ask me here. I've been picturing you know just what your home was like so that I can visualise dear Lucy working here. Perfect family conditions. With murder thrown in. Cedric! <laughs> Do you know who you remind me of? Young Thomas Ede, our bank manager's son in St Mary Mead, always out to shock people. He didn't do in banking circles, of course, so he went to the West Indies. He came home when his father died and inherited rather a lot of money. He was always better at spending money than making it. But I must be on my way. Lucy is going to drive me home. Well, what did you make of them? Did you find anything out? They were far more concerned to find out about you. <laughs> they asked all manner of questions about your childhood and so forth. I think they may still be rather suspicious. If they're suspicious, they have a funny way of showing it. Alfred wants me to be a partner in one of his shady deals. He says he's fallen for me. Gracious me. And Harold wants me to be a partner too in his office in the city. But the really extraordinary thing is old Luther. What about him? He's asked me to marry him. Oh. At least he said, what about it, girl? <laughs> Good heavens. And what about Cedric? He said I was the last girl in the world he would care to marry. So I asked him if he'd prefer me as a stepmother. <laughs> but how are the police inquiries getting on? Have you heard any more from Inspector Craddock? He's gone over to Paris. He thinks he may have a lead on the woman's identity. It is an idea only. I have a picture here of the Côte de Ballet. That is she, the fourth from the left. It says something to you, yes? It, it could be, Inspector Dessin. I, I can't go further than that. Who was she? Do you know anything about her? Almost less than nothing. She was not an important dancer. And the Bally Maritsky is not important either. It plays in suburban theatres and goes on tour. Ah. It has no stars, no famous ballerinas. But I will take you to Madame Joillet, who runs it. Well, what do you want to know about her? Is she Russian? You mean because of her name? Of course not. They all give themselves names like that, these girls. Was she French? Perhaps. She had a French passport, but she told me that she had an English husband. Was the husband alive or dead? Dead, or he had left her. How should I know? <laughs> These girls, there is always some trouble with men. When did you last see her? I take my company to London for six weeks. We play at Torquay and Bournemouth and Eastbourne. Then we come back, but Anna, she does not come. Yeah. She sends a message only that she leaves the company, that she goes to live with her husband's family. Some nonsense of that kind. I did not think it is true myself. What date was this? When we returned to France. Uh -huh. 
It was, it was just before Christmas. And Anna leaves two or three days before that. I cannot remember exactly. But at the end of the week in uh, Hammersmith, I, I think it was, we have to dance without her. It was very naughty of her, but I think most probable she met some man. Uh, they are all the same. Why do you want to find her? Has she come into money? On the contrary. We think she may have been murdered. Ça c'est peu. It happens. Ah well, she was a good Catholic girl. She went to Mass on Sundays and no doubt she went to confession. We've investigated 126 Elvers Crescent, sir. And? It's just an accommodation address. It's quite respectable and all that. Did anyone recognise the photographs of the dead woman? No, sir. But it's nearly a month ago and many people use the place. It's actually a boarding house for students. Any luck with Anna Stravinska? Ah, a little, sir. As soon as I received your call from Paris, I started a hotel check. She was registered with the other members of the company in a cheap hotel off Brook Green, near Hammersmith. She checked out on the night of Thursday the 19th, after the show. No further record. And the woman on the train was murdered on the 20th. Hmm. I think it's time we checked on what the Krakenthorpe family were doing at that time. Let's go to the city and start with Harold. Good morning, Inspector. Good morning. I hope this means that you have some definite news for us at last. Well, hardly that, I'm afraid. There are a few questions I'd like to ask. More questions? Surely by now we've answered everything imaginable. What is it this time? I should be glad if you could tell me exactly what you were doing on the afternoon and evening of the 20th of December last. Say between the hours of 3pm and midnight. Why? It would help to narrow things down. Well, I'm not at all sure that I ought to answer your questions. Not without having my solicitor present. Well, that, of course, is entirely up to you. The questions I'm asking you, I'm asking several other people as well. There's nothing directly personal about them. It's just a matter of necessary elimination. Well, of course, I am anxious to assist in any way that I can. Uh, let me see, Miss Ellis, I expect, can help. Uh, Miss Ellis, could you step in here, please? Oh, and could you bring the memorandum calendar? <clears throat> Do you have any extra information, then, Detective Inspector? We hope we're getting a little closer, sir. Oh. Yes, Mr. Crackenthorpe. Uh, the inspector would like to know what I was doing on the afternoon and evening of... Uh, what was the date? Friday the 20th of December. Uh, ah, yes. You were in the office all morning. You lunched with Lord Forthville at the Barclay. Ah, it was that day, yes. Mm -hmm. You returned to the office at about three o'clock and dictated half a dozen letters. You then left to attend Sotheby's sale room where you were interested in some rare manuscripts. You did not return to the office again, but you attended the catering club dinner in the evening. Yes, thank you, Miss Ellis. That will be all. Yes, it is clear in my mind now. The items at Sotheby's went at far too high a price for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I had tea in a small place in German Street. Russell's, I think it was called. Yeah. I dropped into a news theatre for about half an hour or so, and then, then I went home. Uh, I live at 43 Cadogan Gardens. Yes. The dinner took place at Caterer's Hall at 7.30, and after that I returned home to bed. I think that should answer all your questions. That's all very clear, Mr Crackenthorpe. What time was it when you returned home to dress? Uh, soon after six, I should think. And after your dinner? It was, I think, about half past eleven. Did your manservant let you in, or perhaps Lady Alice Crackenthorpe? My wife has been abroad in the south of France since early December. I let myself in with a latch key. 
So there's no one who can vouch for your returning home when you said you did? I dare say the servants heard me come in, but really, Inspector... I think that's all for now. I'm very sorry to have bothered you. What was I doing on the afternoon and evening of the 20th of December? (laughs) How should I know? Your brother Harold has been able to tell us very exactly. Brother Harold, perhaps. Not Brother Alfred. Harold is the successful member of the family. Busy, useful, fully employed. A time for everything and everything at that time. Even if he were to commit a murder, it would be carefully timed and exact. Any particular reason for using that example? Oh, no. It just came into my head. Anyway, why do you want to know what I was on that particular Friday? So you do remember that it was a Friday? I thought you said so. Perhaps I did. Anyway, can you tell me what you were doing? Sorry, my mind's a complete blank. The Friday before Christmas, it shouldn't be too difficult. I can't tell you what I was doing on that day. But I can tell you what I wasn't doing. I wasn't murdering anyone in the long barn. Why should you say that, Mr. Crackenbrook? Oh, come on. You're investigating that murder, aren't you? Did somebody see the deceased slinking in there that afternoon? I'm afraid we're going to have to let you guess about that. <laughs> the police are so secretive. I'm sorry you couldn't have been more cooperative, Mr. Crackenthorpe. Very sad. And all so silly. I've already told you I don't murder people. And why should I kill an unknown woman anyway? Listen, sir. I've placed him. Placed who? Alfred Crackenthorpe. He was mixed up with Dickie Rogers and the Soho lot. Watches and that. Italian sovereign business. Oh, that certainly explains why he couldn't come up with an alibi. Yeah. It's quite a clever line just to say that you can't remember. Especially useful if you don't want to call attention as to how you do spend your time. Interesting rendezvous with Dickie Rogers at a lorry pull-up, for instance. So you think he's in the clear? I'm not prepared to think anyone's in the clear just yet. I need to get it all into perspective. What is this, Inspector? Three guineas. Your consultation fee, Miss Marple. You're a consultant on murder. I'm just a poor, harassed GP. Inspector Craddock, you're human after all. There's something I'd like your opinion on, Miss Islesborough. What's the family view about this Martine business, among themselves? They're all furious with Emma for going to you about it. Harold and Alfred think the Martine business was a try-on... Emma isn't sure. Cedric thinks it was phony too, but he doesn't take it as seriously as the others. Brian, on the other hand, seems quite sure that it's genuine. Doesn't his son go back to school soon? Yes, next week. Tomorrow Alexander's going to stay with his friend, James Stoddard West, for the rest of the holiday. Oh, I am glad of that. I shouldn't like anything to happen while they're there. Boys love hunting about for clues, and it might be dangerous. You're not prepared to believe, are you, Miss Marple, that it's a case of an unknown woman murdered by an unknown man? You tie it up definitely with Rutherford Hall. I think there is a definite connection, yes. But I have been wondering whether it might perhaps be all much simpler than we suppose. Mm. Murders so often are quite simple, with an obvious, rather sordid motive. I wish I had a dictionary here. Tontine and Tokay. I always mix those words up. One, I believe, is an Hungarian wine. That's Tokay. But one's a five-letter word and one's a seven. What's the clue? Oh, it wasn't in the Times crossword. It was in my head. Well, I hope you get it sorted out, Miss Marple. I must be on my way. 
I'm going back to Rutherford Hall. Inspector Craddock. Yes, what is it, Alexander? We heard your car and we wanted to get hold of you. Well, let's let's go inside. No, don't ring the bell. We found a clue. It could be very important. Splendid, splendid. Yes, let, let, let's go in and look at it. Come on. No, no, no. Someone's sure to interrupt. Come to the harness room. We've been looking everywhere. We even went through the ash bins. We found it in an old galvanised tub full of waste paper. Found what? I've got it here. I'd better put my gloves on in case of fingerprints. An envelope. Just see what's written on it. Mrs Martine Crackenthorpe, 126 Elvers Crescent, N10. You see? It shows she was here. Uncle Edmund's French wife. She must have dropped it somewhere. So it looks as though she was the one who got murdered. I mean, don't you think, sir, that it simply must have been her in the sarcophagus? Doing a bit of sleuthing, Inspector? Got any further? I think we can say we are a little further. And as a consequence, we need to get a few statements. Since you're here, I'd like a detailed account of what you were doing on Friday the 20th of December. Look, as I've already told you, I was in Ibiza. Trouble is, one day's pretty like another. I mean, painting in the morning, siesta from 3pm to 5, an aperitif in the evening in the piazza, and then... I'd rather have the truth, Mr Crackenthorpe. That's a most offensive remark, Inspector. The records show that you actually entered the country on the evening of the 19th of December. Perhaps you'll now account to me for your movements between that time and your arrival here on the 20th of December. That's the hell of life nowadays. Can't go where you like and do as you please anymore. What's all the fuss about the 20th, anyway? It happens to be the day we believe the murder was committed. You can refuse to answer, of course. Who says I refuse to answer? I left Ibiza on the 19th. Planned to break the journey in Paris and spend a couple of days routing up some old friends on the left bank. But as a matter of fact, there was a very attractive woman on the plane. She was on her way to the States but had to spend a couple of days in London. We got on rather well and spent the night of the 19th in the Kingsway Palace Hotel. Hmm. Mr and Mrs Brown, in case your spies haven't found that out yet. And on the 20th? Morning pretty well occupied by a terrific hangover. And the afternoon... From three o'clock onwards? Well, I just mooched about. Went to the National Gallery, sort of western at the Rialto. Had a bit of a sleep in my room and went out about ten with the girlfriend. Woke up with an even worse hangover. Girlfriend took off on a plane and I poured cold water over my head. Then I set off for here, pretending I'd just arrived at Heathrow. There's no need to upset Emma, I thought. Satisfied, Inspector? Can any of this be substantiated? Say between 3pm and 7pm. Most unlikely, I should think. National gallery, where the attendants look at you with lacklustre eyes, and a crowded picture show, no, not likely. Thank you, Mr Crackenthorpe. Can you tell me where I can find your sister? She's in the little sitting room, I think. Ah, Miss Crackenthorpe. Yes? The boys found this among some waste paper in the boiler room. I'd be grateful if you take a look at it. Uh, don't touch it, please. But that's my handwriting... That's the letter I wrote to Martine. I thought it might be. Then she did come here. You mean that it was Martine in the sarcophagus? It seems very likely, Miss Crackenthorpe. Whatever else the murder may have done, it had certainly brought the Crackenthorpe family together. They gathered again at Rutherford Hall at the weekend and tempers were soon running high as they accused Emma of letting the family down by going to the police and attacked Dr Whimper for encouraging her. 
The only person who didn't join in was old Luther Crackenthorpe. He had other matters on his mind. Girl! Yes, Mr Crackenthorpe? What are you giving us for dinner tonight? I want curry. You make a very good curry. It's ages since we had any. The boys don't care very much for curry. Uh, what do the boys matter? Anyway, they're gone and good riddance. I want a good, hot curry, do you hear? All right, Mr Crackenthorpe, you shall have it. Uh, and make one of those uh, jugs of cocktails you're so good at. Quimper's coming round to see me and always appreciates a good drink. And mind you, make that curry really hot and spicy. Quimper? This is Lucy Owlsbarrow from Rutherford Hall. Yes? I'd be grateful if you could come over. Everybody seems to have been taken ill. Taken ill? How? It looks rather like food poisoning. I'll be there straight away. Arsenic? Yes, it was in the curry. Here's the rest of the curry for your fellows to have a go at. I've only done a rough test on a little of it, but the rest was quite definite. So there's a poisoner at work. It would seem so. And they're all affected, except that Miss Islesborough. Except Miss Islesborough. Looks a bit fishy for her. What motive could she conceivably have? Might be balmy. Oh, Miss Islesborough isn't off her rocker. If she'd been feeding the family arsenic, she'd do what any intelligent poisoner would do, and be careful not to be the only one not affected. Then it might be there's one member of the family now who's making more fuss than he need. Yeah, the idea already occurred to me. Well, that's why I'm reporting to you. It's in your hands now. I've got a nurse there, but she can't be everywhere at once. In my opinion, nobody's had enough to cause death. Well, well, okay, put her through. It's your nurse on the phone. Yes, Dr. Kemper is with me now. I'll pass you over. Hello? Yes. I see. Yes. Right, we'll be along straight away. What is it? It's Alfred Crackenthorpe. He's dead. What happened? Was there a relapse? I I thought there was a nurse in charge. Yes, there was, but you can't blame her. She had five patients on her hands, including the old man who was creating in a big way. She got him soothed down and then took Alfred some tea with glucose. He drank it and that was that. Arsenic again? Looks like it. Of course, the nurse washed everything up, cup and teapot. But it seems the only feasible explanation. So there must have been one patient who wasn't as ill as the others, saw his chance and doped the cup. Well, there won't be any more funny business. We've got two nurses on the job now to say nothing of Miss Aylesborough, and I've put a couple of men there, too. You coming down? As fast as I can make it. It was the curry. Yes, very nicely laced with arsenic. Quite the Borgia touch. If that's true, it must be... It's got to be. One of the family. No other possibility? No. You see... I only started making that damn curry quite late, after six o'clock, because Mr Crackenthorpe specially asked for it. And I had to open a new tin of curry powder so that it couldn't have been tampered with. I suppose curry would disguise the taste. No, the arsenic hasn't any taste. Now, opportunity. Which of them had the opportunity to dose the curry while it was cooking? Actually, anyone could have sneaked into the kitchen while I was laying the table in the dining room. Why Alfred, I wonder? I mean, who could have poisoned him? 
I was asleep. Any of them could have slipped arsenic into his tea while the nurse was attending to his father. But why him? It seems so pointless. Oh, if only I could get to the motive for all this business. It doesn't seem to tie up. Now, let's assume that the woman in the sarcophagus was Edmund's widow, Martine. It's pretty well proved by now. There must be a connection between that and the deliberate poisoning of Alfred. It's all here, in the family somewhere. I suppose it must be. You look after yourself. There's a poisoner in this house, remember? And one of your patients upstairs probably isn't as ill as he pretends to be. May I see Miss Crackenthorpe, please? I'm sorry. Miss Crackenthorpe is ill in bed and can't see anyone. I know that she's been ill, but it is very important that I should see her. I'm afraid... I that... think you are Miss Islesborough, are you not? My son James has spoken of you. I am Lady Stoddart West, and Alexander is staying with us now. Oh, I see. And it really is important that I should see Miss Crackenthorpe. This is not a social call. It is because of something that the boys have said to me. It is of grave importance... Please, will you ask her? Do come in. I'll go up and ask her. If she's well enough, I'll take you up straight away. You must think it's strange of me coming here like this, but you see, the boys have been telling me things. They say that the police believe the murdered woman may be a French woman whom your eldest brother knew in France. Is that so? Ah, it is a possibility. But why should they think she was Martine? Did she have letters on her? Papers? No, nothing of the kind. But I had a letter from this Martine telling me that she was in England and would like to see me. <laughs> but I really don't see why... You, you really don't see what concern it is of mine. I must tell you something that I had never intended to tell anyone. You see, I am Martine Dubois. <laughs> you are Martine... I met your brother Edmund in the first days of the war. He was billeted in our home. We fell in love. We intended to get married, but then there was the retreat to Dunkirk and Edmund was killed. Mm. The Germans occupied France and I became a worker in the resistance. It was there that I met my husband. He was an English Air Force officer parachuted into France to work with us. When the war ended, we were married... I considered whether I should write to you or come and see you, but I decided against it. I had a new life, and I had no wish to recall the old. But it gave me a strange pleasure when I found that James's greatest friend at school was Edmund's nephew. But who could it have been who wrote me that letter? Someone pretending to be me, who wanted to get money out of you. But who? I've never spoken of it to anyone since I came to England. And why wait all this time? It is very curious. Very, very curious. The Crackenthorpes took time to recover from their ordeal. Old Luther kept to his room. Cedric decided to put off returning to Ibiza. But Harold realised that it was time to go back to his ailing business. He put in a wearisome day in the city and returned home to find a package waiting for him on the hall table. Mm. 
Two tablets to be taken twice nightly, sent by request of Dr. Quimper. That's odd. I thought he told me I didn't need to take the things any more. Well, I must have misunderstood him. Nobody could have made more of a muck-up of it than I seem to have done. I let the whole family be poisoned. Alfred Crackenthorpe's dead, and now Harold's dead, too. Poisoned tablets? Yes. They looked just like the tablets he'd been having, and they were labelled so that they appeared to come on Dr Quimper's instructions, but the chemist said he never ordered them. They were in a box that had previously held the sedative tablets prescribed for Emma. It's got her fingerprints on it, nobody else's, naturally. The person who sent them was very careful. So her sedative tablets were removed and something else substituted? Yes. That's the devil with tablets. One looks exactly like another. And Harold took them and died. I've made the most ghastly mess of things all the way along the line. I don't know who poisoned Alfred. I don't know who poisoned Harold. And to cap it all, I don't know who the murdered woman was. The Martine business seemed to fit the bill so well. So convenient. Oh, if it hadn't been for those boys finding the envelope. I took it for granted Martine had actually been there. But the murdered woman hadn't been there. Well, not in the sense you mean. She only came to Rutherford Hall after she was dead. Pushed out of a train on the railway embankment. What the envelope really proves is that the murderer was there. Presumably, he took the envelope off her with the other papers and things and then dropped it by mistake. Mm. Or, I wonder now, was it a mistake? You think we were meant to find it? Well, it certainly stopped you thinking about Anna Stravinska anymore, didn't it? You think it really might have been her all the time? I think someone may have got alarmed when you started making inquiries about her, that's all. I think somebody didn't want those inquiries made. Tell me, do you or do you not think you know who the murdered woman was? It is so difficult to put it the right way. I mean, I don't know who she was... But at the same time, I'm fairly sure who she was. If you know what I mean. Know what you mean? I haven't the faintest idea. I looked up Tontine in the dictionary. I thought you probably would. Lorenzo Tonti. Italian banker, originator 1653 of a form of annuity in which the shares of subscribers who die are added to the profit shares of the survivors. Ah. That's it, isn't it? I suppose it was asking for it, really. A will of that kind, ensuring that if there was only one survivor left, he got the lot. And yet, there was quite a lot of money, wasn't there? You would think it would be enough shared out. The trouble is that people are greedy. That is so often, you know, how things start. You don't start with wanting to commit murder. You start by being greedy, by wanting more than you're going to have. And now there are only two of them left. You mean Cedric and Emma? Not Emma. Emma isn't a tall, dark man. I mean Cedric and Brian Eastley. Oh. I never thought of Brian because he's fair. But the other day... Yes. Go on. Something has upset you, hasn't it? It was when Lady Stoddard West was leaving. She suddenly turned to me just as she was getting into the car and asked, Who was that tall, dark man who was standing on the terrace as I came in? And I said, Oh, you mean Brian Eastley? And she said, Of course, that's who it was. Squadron Leader Eastley. He was hidden in our loft during the resistance. She said she would like to see him, but we couldn't find him. But she was right. 
at a distance he can look dark. So it might have been Brian that your friend saw from the train. You mustn't worry, you know. I realise it must be very difficult for you, because you're strongly attracted to both Cedric and Brian Eastley, aren't you? In very different ways. What do you mean? As I say, you mustn't worry. Elspeth McGillicuddy will be here any day now, and then the whole mystery will be cleared up. It does seem rather odd. How do you mean? Well, to arrive at Rutherford Hall and to ask almost immediately whether I can, er, uh, go upstairs. It is very cold weather, and after all, you might have eaten something that disagreed with you. I remember poor Louise Felby came to see me once and had to go upstairs five times during one little half hour. That was a bad Cornish pasty. If you just tell me what you're driving at, Jane. That is just what I do not want to do. Oh, how irritating you are. First you make me come all the way back to England before I need. Oh, I couldn't do anything else. Someone you see might be killed at any moment. And there's the taxi. We'll be at Rutherford Hall in no time. Who can this be driving up? Oh, I do believe it's Lucy's old aunt. Oh, what a bore. Tell her you're not at home. When you say tell her that I'm not at home, do you mean that I should go out and say so? Or should I ask Lucy to tell her? Oh, Lord. If you put it like that, I suppose you'd better let her in. I hope I'm not intruding, Miss Crackenthorpe, but you see, I am going home the day after tomorrow, and I couldn't bear not to come over and thank you again for your goodness to Lucy. Oh, oh by the way, may I introduce my friend, Mrs McGillicuddy, who is staying with me? How do you do? How do you do? Aunt Jane, I had no idea. I had to come and say goodbye to Miss Crackenthorpe, who's been so very kind to you, Lucy. Oh, it's Lucy who has been kind to us. Oh, yes, indeed. We've worked her like a galley slave, waiting on the sick room, running up and down the stairs, cooking little invalid messes. Where's tea? Why isn't tea ready? You, girl, why haven't you brought tea in? It's just ready, Mr Crackenthorpe. I'm bringing it now. Father, this is Lucy's aunt, Miss Marple, and her friend, Mrs... And the gillycuddy. Like me meals on time. Punctuality and economy. Those are my watchwords. Very necessary, I'm sure. Especially in these days with taxation and everything. Taxation? Don't talk to me of those robbers. A miserable pauper, that's what I am. Here is tea. I'll put the cake down here, shall I? Please, Mr Eastley. What's this? Frosted cake? We're having a party today. Nobody told me about it. Dr Quimper's coming to tea, Father. It's his birthday. And birthday? Thought... What are you doing with a birthday? Birthdays are for children. I never come by birthdays, and I wouldn't let anyone celebrate them either. Yeah, much cheaper. You save the price of candles on your cake. Ah, here comes Quimper. What a delightful view you have from this window. Such an expanse of parkland. One would never dream that one was in the middle of a town. Uh, Miss Crackenthorpe, I wonder if I could go upstairs for a moment. Oh, of course, Mrs McGillicuddy. I'll take you. Going to snow, that's my guess. Hello, Emma, how are you? Good Lord, what's all this? We made you a birthday cake. Don't you remember? You told me today was your birthday. <laughs> I didn't expect all this. 
Why, it must be, well, 16 years since anybody remembered my birthday. Do you know Miss Marple? Oh, yes. I met Dr Quimper here before. Come on, let's have tea. What are we waiting for? Oh, please don't wait for my friend. She'd be most upset if you did. Hmm. What are these sandwiches, Brian? Fish. I helped to make them. I poison fish paste. That's what they are. Eat them at your peril. Please, Father. You've got to be careful what you eat in this house, Miss Marple. Two of my sons have been murdered like flies. Who's doing it? That's what I want to know. (laughs) I do think it's brave of you to make these jokes. I do admire bravery so much. (laughs) Oh, oh, a fishbone in my throat. Just just (laughs) keep calm, Miss Marple. Now... Open your mouth wide. Let's have a look. Uh, That's uh, him! That's the man on the train! I thought you would recognise him, Elspeth, if you saw him bending over me. You didn't know, did you, Doctor, when you strangled that woman in the train... ...that someone actually saw you do it? Mrs McGillicuddy saw you. She was in another train, running parallel with yours. What the hell are you... She saw you... And she will swear to it in court. It is not often, I believe, that somebody actually sees a murder committed. You devilish old hag! So you're the murdering swine, are you? Get hold of his other arm, Brian! I've got him! I must caution you. Caution be damned! Do you think anyone's going to believe a couple of dotty old women? Who's ever heard of all this rigmarole about a train? Elspeth McGillicuddy reported the murder to the police at once on the 20th of December and gave a description of the man. But be quiet, Elspeth. But why should I want to murder a perfectly strange woman? She wasn't a strange woman, Dr Quimper. She was your wife. So you see, it really turned out to be, as I began to suspect, very simple... The simplest kind of crime. So many men seem to murder their wives. I'd be obliged if you'd bring me a little more up to date. He saw a chance, you see, of marrying a rich wife, Emma Crackenthorpe. Only he couldn't marry her because he had a wife already. They'd been separated for years, but she wouldn't divorce him. And that fitted in very well with what we knew about the woman who called herself Anna Stravinska. Yes. She had an English husband, she told one of her friends. And she was also a very devout Catholic. Dr Quimper couldn't risk marrying Emma bigamously. So he decided, being a very ruthless and cold-blooded man, that he would get rid of his wife. But why on earth did he put her body in the sarcophagus? Because he wanted to tie it up with the Crackenthorpe family. Before that, he'd written a letter to Emma, which purported to be from the girl Martine, whom Edmund Crackenthorpe had talked of marrying. Emma had told Dr Quimper all about her brother, you see. And so Quimper encouraged her to come to us with her story. He wanted the dead woman identified as Martine. It was easy for him to arrange to meet his wife in London, to tell her that he hoped to be reconciled with her and that he would like her to come down and meet his very good friends, the Crackenthorpes. And they caught the train from Paddington and he strangled her. Of course, he was a very greedy man. He'd been told about the tontine and he began thinking that it would be nice to have a good deal more capital. So he started administering arsenic to the entire family. Not too much, of course, for he didn't want old Mr Crackenthorpe to die too soon. But I still don't see how he managed it. He wasn't in the house when the curry was being prepared. Oh, there wasn't any arsenic in the curry then. He added it to the curry afterwards when he took it away to be tested. He put the arsenic in the cocktail jug earlier. 
and of course it was quite easy for him, in his role as medical attendant, to poison off Alfred Crackenthorpe and also to send the tablets to Harold in London, having safeguarded himself by telling Harold he wouldn't need any more tablets. It occurred to me, you see, Elspeth, that even if you only see somebody from the back, nevertheless, that back view is characteristic. Aha! Uh-huh. I thought that if you were to see Dr Quimper in the same position as you'd seen from the train, bending over a woman whom he was holding by the throat, then I was sure that you would recognise him. Well, I must say, it gave me quite a turn. I said, that's him, before I could stop myself. And yet, you know, I hadn't actually seen his face on the train. I was terribly afraid you were going to say so, Elspeth. I was. That would have been quite fatal. I couldn't let you say a word. So, what's next, Miss Marple? Hmm? Is there a happy ending? What happens to Emma Crackenthorpe, for instance? Oh, she'll get over Dr Quimper, of course. And I dare say, if her father were to die, that she'd go on a cruise or something, and I wouldn't be surprised if something came of it. A nicer man than Dr Quimper, I hope. What about Lucy Islesborough? Any wedding bells there? Oh, perhaps. Which of them is she going to choose? Don't you know? No, I don't. Do you? Oh, yes, I think so. And you know, Inspector, my... Intuitions are nearly always right. In Agatha Christie's 450 from Paddington, Miss Marple was played by June Whitfield. Detective Inspector Craddock, Ian Lavender, Lucy Islesbarrow, Susanna Harker, Mrs. McGillicuddy, Joan Sims. Inspector Bacon, Sean Baker, Dr. Quimper, Stephen Thorne. Luther Crackenthorpe, John Woodnut, Emma Crackenthorpe, Janet Moore. With Christopher Scott, Keith Drinkle, Mark Bonner, Kim Wall, Jonathan Kitchens, Rory Jennings, Anne Beach, Joanna Monroe, Alice Arnold, Amanda Gordon, Lewis Jones, Steve Hodson, Chris Pavlo, and Alex Lowe. Other parts were played by members of the cast. 450 from Paddington was dramatised by Michael Bakewell and directed by Enid Williams. Mystery Radio presentation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to like and rate this podcast on your favorite app. Also, there's a Nostalgic Mystery Radio YouTube page for your perusal to subscribe to. You can contact me by emailing me at nostalgicmysteryradio at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day or evening. And again, thank you for listening. <laughs>